Hi, <clears throat> good evening, everyone. As we begin into the session on potential aquatics and recreation centers, I just wanna share a little bit about the scope of the project and the timeline. Um, the concept plans that we had for our indoor facility, well, sorry, let me back up. When we embarked upon the ballot measure exploratory process, we knew that aquatics and recreation centers would be considered. Because of the complex nature of these facilities, we need consultants to conduct the analysis and develop concept plans. Due to the consolidated timeline to complete this work, an RFQ was released quickly, and the consultants you will hear from this evening, Opsis Architecture, was selected as the best fit. The scope of work specified the development of three concept plans for medium and large aquatics and recreation facilities. Four different park sites were offered for analysis. Houghton Park and Ride, which the city is hoping to acquire, North Kirkland Community Park, Peter Kirk Park, and Winita Beach Park. Once potential facility sites and sizes are selected, Optus will move forward with the development of concept plans. That will include identification of facility spaces, features, and sizes, renderings of concept designs, and full capital and operating costs. An additional item in the scope of work was to create two different concepts for a potential redevelopment of Peter Kirk Park. After this evening's presentation, Office will create concept plans, which will come back to PPEC in January. Concept designs will also be shared with city council. And just as a quick note, concept plans do not include architectural design. Uh, if one or more facilities goes to the ballot and passes, then a procurement process would be done to find architects to fully design and build the facilities. And now I'm gonna hand it over to Pat to talk about facilitation for this evening. Thanks, Lynn. So as you're listening to the presentation by the consultants, we encourage you to take some notes to yourself <clears throat> because what we're gonna to wanna to do is cover these four areas. Uh, the first goal of, of this presentation and tonight's meeting <clears throat> is education. So we hope that you learn something, that we have an opportunity to hear about the research and the preliminary recommendations from these consultants. Secondly, when we come back after, there'll be a break uh, sometime during that presentation. And after we come back, I'll come back and I'll give you more details about how we're going to get your input. But this is really a chance. We've got quite a bit of time on the agenda to hear from you about each of the recommendations and we'll take them one at a time. And we'll do some polling just like we did on the fall sports and the fall activities. And we want you to give direction so that the consultants know which of these plans to go forward with and develop additional details for. And then the ultimate goal is that we're all clear on what happens next. So the consultants have their um, work to do. The city is going to um, also do some work and we'll come back in January and review all of that. So again, tonight's purpose is around education, getting your input and your questions, getting some clarity around a direction to move forward from this evening and some clarity around what those next steps are. And I'll come back and I'll describe in more detail number two um, and number three when we get there. Chris, you're muted. 
Sorry about that. First faux pas of the evening. <laughs> Hi, I'm Chris Roberts, and uh, thank you, Pat. Uh, and um, I'm with Optus Architecture. Uh, we're down in Portland, Oregon, just down the road. And uh, I'm going to go through and talk about the agenda we've got set up with you. Uh, Jim Cavillage, our, our principal and planner, uh, will be presenting along with uh, Clayton from Site Workshop, whose uh, Site Workshop is our um, uh, landscape architect on the project. And Darren Barr, uh, who will be talking um, from Ballard King, will be talking about the operational side. Um, on the very first uh, section we're going to hit on is the facilities guiding principles. Um, that's going to be followed up by the aquatics and indoor recreation needs analysis. Um, and we've got a lot of information on the facility program spaces. We're going to look at the large and medium-sized facilities. Uh, then we're going to look at the potential sites and site evaluation criteria. Um, and then we're going to take a little break to get everyone a, an opportunity to stand up, sit around, or move around, uh, shake the legs out. And then we'll finish up with the site analysis, test fit, test fit diagrams and evaluation. Um, and then we'll wrap up um, our presentation on site costs and evaluations and conclusions. And so we wanted to start off with the facility guiding principles. These, these are the principles that we had worked very um, uh, diligently with the city and their staff to develop at the very start of the project. And the guiding principles provide, provide a framework uh, or a basis that we can um, evaluate everything as we're moving forward. They'll become particularly important the further along as we get into the development. We also use a lot of these um, things like um, uh, under, understanding that there's uh, unmet um, needs within the community. Um, and that this project needs to be a legacy project. Um, and the goal is to achieve the city's visions um, uh, and community pri priorities through the, the potential projects that we'll be reviewing today. Um, and we wanna make sure that everything uh, we do is, is looking at the versatility to maximize the facility uses as, as we move through the process. Um, two items that really are, are kind of key critical um, components of, of the project's development will be the uh, environmental and financial uh, aspects of the project. And so the, our intent is to create synergies between the facilities and the park spaces, making sure the facilities and the parks work in, in, in harmoniously one, with one another. Um, um, that we offer indoor and outdoor programming opportunities that don't currently exist and that there is an environmentally sound, energy efficient and sustainable practice that's put into the, the concepts that are being put forward. And then on the financial side, we wanna make sure we're optimizing the value of the budget. And that's both the capital costs of the project and how the, how the, the operational costs are, are utilized um, at each facility, looking at financial sustainability. And in the end, really wanting to create with y'all here tonight, and as we move forward, a vision that supports a successful ballot measure or measures as we move forward. With that, I'll pass off to Darren. Good evening, everyone. So we're gonna talk a little bit about the aquatics and recreation needs analysis. So um, what we've gone ahead and done is this feasibility study is an offshoot of the pros plan that you've completed. Um, as part of that plan, Indoor Aquatic Center and Indoor Recreation Center were most important needs for improvement. So Aquatic Center is ranked first, Recreation Center is rated third. Not uncommon when you go ahead and talk about a community with your current inventory. The community needs around aquatics programs are not being met. 
We've already heard a little bit about that this evening in terms of wait lists. Um, and an indoor facility will increase participation. The, the department is limited at this time in terms of the number of programs that they can go ahead and offer just on the availability of indoor spaces. So we, when we go ahead and we do a feasibility study like this, we, we don't just go ahead and say, hey, let's have a party and then figure out what we do later. Uh, it's important that what we recommend goes ahead and meshes with the goals of the organization, but then also what's existing in the facility. So with that, we usually start with a good demographic analysis, some key takeaways from the city of Kirkland is when you look at the city, uh, the 2022 population is approximately 95,000. Uh, we've got households, families with households. The median age is a little bit, uh, a little bit higher than the national number, but it points to the presence of families with kids. It points to seniors, uh, which is great because we're finding that uh, as a society, we're going ahead and we're staying involved uh, and staying physically active longer. So community centers, recreation centers are really becoming multi-generational facilities. Um, the median household income is a little bit higher, but it also goes along with a higher cost of living. And is essentially what people are currently spending on entertainment and recreation in the city of Kirkland is about 76% higher than what we see on the national number, which points to a community that's willing to pay for those services, and in some cases already are paying for those services. The map that you see on the right goes ahead and starts to outline some of the um, uh, facilities that we've gone ahead and identified. It's important to note both on this slide and the next slide that this is not a comprehensive list, but it does go ahead and point to a number of facilities that exist. Uh, the, the red squares that you have on the, on the map are the potential locations. Um, the green facilities are private. Many of those are small boutique facilities like a yoga studio or an F45 studio. Uh, but there are a couple full service private facilities. They're serving part of the need, but they're not serving the full need of the community because let's be honest, they're in the business to make money. Um, the other thing that is not listed on here is pools, but there's a number of pools in the area, HOA pools, uh, private, school, municipal, obviously you have a pool at Peter Kirk Park. Um, but it really goes ahead and begins to spell out what the market is for services. And there is a significant market, which we go ahead and talk about on the next slide. So <clears throat> population characteristics, we, we spoke to it a little bit, but there's numbers of growing families and adults who need more places to play, recreate, and swim. That's just the way that your community is trending right now. We can also refer to your market or your community as a very stable market, one that you're going ahead and you're seeing some growth, but uh, with some, some caps to that. Um, the income points to the ability to pay for programs and services. And that's not the end all be all for parks and recreation, but we can't do everything for free as well. So um, going ahead and, and recognizing that is important. Um, spending patterns suggest that people are currently paying for services, uh, but that also goes ahead and leaves out a certain section of the community that that's either has to travel beyond the city boundaries to go ahead and find those services, or they're just not able to pay for the services that exist within the city. Um, a community that you look at like this really goes ahead and points to a community that would have multiple facilities. And to that end, we've gone ahead and we've provided you with some national facility benchmarks. Um, a population of Kirkland size would generally have, uh, and this is based on National Recreational Park Association standards, 
uh, 2.3 community centers, 2.3 rec centers, 1.4 senior centers, 1.5 aquatic centers, and 2.2 outdoor pools. That's not saying that these are all individual facilities. You can have a senior center in an outdoor pool in the same location. So uh, we're really just trying to go ahead and aggregate a total. And we've gone ahead and we've, we've, got, we've put what the current inventory is, where Peter Kirk and North Kirkland would fall into that community center uh, model. And while you do have an outdoor pool, as we've already heard, it's aging. So uh, potentially beyond its life cycle. So those are some important things to consider as we go ahead and talk through um, the various opportunities later in this slide. We've talked about the city of Kirkland being an active community. Um, we talk about pools, gymnasiums, fitness spaces, multi-purpose rooms. Those are spaces that OPSIS is going to talk about with you later. And all of these are activities that we can look at from the National Sporting Goods Association. And as we have, what we've come to realize is that of all of those activities, the rate of participation in the city of Kirkland is higher than what we're seeing on a national average. So again, very active community, looking for things to do, looking for those indoor spaces, also looking for those indoor and outdoor spaces that could be aquatics as well. So when we go ahead and we start to make some conclusions, there is a need that a community like Kirkland could support multiple indoor facilities. Um, it's important that those facilities should vary in size and program and focus, not everything in each facility. They can all be a little different. Um, at least one, potentially more, should include some level of aquatics. All facilities should have some fitness element. I know that scares people when you see the number of private providers that are out there, but there's quite a bit of market that's not being met by those private providers. At least one facility should focus on older adults and associated programs. Uh, the, the days of the dedicated senior center are going away. So uh, really focusing on those program opportunities, not necessarily the age. And then all the facilities should really have that multi-generational, multicultural programming focus. Uh, they, should be going, they should be facilities that go ahead and bring a community together. Uh, they function as gathering places in many times, but the city of Kirkland and, and what you have going on in the community right now is, is a prime market for the types of facilities that we're talking about this evening. So I'm going to be sharing uh, the proposed facility program spaces. Uh, they were informed by the needs and market analysis and pros plan, along with guidance from the city and departmental staff. You know, the facility program spaces that I'm gonna share here are, are really combining community, recreation, aquatics, and park amenities. So these next five frames are going to depict these spaces and it help assist you in visualizing what they might look and feel like. This first image is, of community spaces. And that's a very broad category because it includes uh, perhaps a large community room that can serve uh, uh, events like weddings and gatherings and dances and music. It can be subdivided into classroom spaces. There might be uh, an image below uh, a resource library uh, that could also serve uh, multicultural programming. Uh, a senior lounge area, a teen space. Uh, also the idea of active maker spaces that could include arts and crafts, um, music making and production, uh, even considering some, some newer items like maker spaces. And also the idea of gaming, not just only pool tables and so forth, but also uh, video gaming uh, that's 
very much uh, a feature in today's world. So the next uh, image is about recreation and, and probably one of the biggest needs in the community is the gymnasium, which can serve so many different uses from uh, basketball to volleyball, pickleball. Sometimes it includes even an elevated walk-jog track um, and even the idea of an indoor playground for children. The next image is uh, really about recreation spaces that are more fitness focused. Uh, those can include cardio weight area, uh, functional training, uh, and then exercise, group exercise rooms that uh, can serve uh, yoga and mind-body exercise as well as, as dance. The next images are of aquatic spaces, and these can include both indoor and outdoor aquatic spaces. Uh, these might include a lap pool with cooler water for exercise swimming, and then perhaps even a larger recreation pool that is so multi-use in its programming from swim lessons to uh, aerobic classes to fun features like a water slide or a lazy river that can uh, work for both a, a play feature, but also resistance walking that can be used for therapy or zero depth entry to make sure the facility is accessible. And then the top image just shows uh, what are the features of uh, what can be included in an outdoor pool, not only exercise swimming, but also uh, wading pool and, and features that serve younger age groups as well. Park and open space is another major consideration, especially as we consider the redesign of Peter Kirk Park, as well as many of the sites that we're looking at are within a park-like setting or the potential to be a park-like setting. So that can include uh, a multi-use uh, athletic field. It may include inclusive uh, playground area, perhaps skate park, passive recreation, and uh, social spaces as in picnicking and that type of activity, as well as perhaps even a plaza with a spray pad. So with these program elements in mind, um, we started to develop uh, a variety of three different size uh, facility program mixes. And these include four different categories that shared between these three uh, facility options that include recreation spaces, aquatics, community, and then support spaces as well uh, that include administration and lockers, universal changing rooms and so forth. Um, as you can see within these, each option, there's a variation of program spaces within each category. So starting on, on the uh, left side, uh, the program outlines what we're calling a larger facility that would include primarily a recreation and aquatics focus. It may have a larger gymnasium, a three courts, a larger uh, walk-jog track, uh, cardio weight area that might be up to 6,000 square feet with functional training and multi-use group exercise spaces. Uh, perhaps a, a larger uh, aquatic space that includes uh, a very multi-dimensional featured uh, recreation pool and then indoor lap pool that might be six lanes, 25 yards that can serve high school swimming, but primarily focus on exercise swimming. 
Um, and then to support these uh, types of spaces, having a child watch area is really important. So a, a parent or grandparent can have a safe place to have their, uh, their child uh, watched over safely. And in multi-purpose classrooms, a facility like this could be up to 105,000 square feet. And with that, a parking requirement of approximately 350 parking stalls. So the next option we're calling a medium large, a lot of the same features, but you can see the gymnasium space is a little bit smaller, two courts, smaller uh, cardio weight area, uh, good size, but not as large as the previous option. Um, an indoor recreation pool, uh, perhaps uh, half the size of the, the larger facility, and perhaps this one doesn't include a lap pool. Uh, this facility would have more of an emphasis on community space with a community room, uh, multi-purpose classroom. And then there's the medium uh, size facility on the right column, which includes primarily a focus on community and aquatics with more limited recreation space. So it would have perhaps a cardio weight area, a few multi-purpose group exercise rooms, and then um, the aquatics uh, element, instead of perhaps being indoor, it might be an outdoor pool of approximately 6,000 square feet. This would have a larger community room uh, that could seat up to perhaps 300 people and be divided into three separate chambers and have a platform for performances. Um, and then a variety of community spaces that range from a senior lounge to a, a teen center, uh, perhaps a multicultural space, a resource library, arts and crafts, makerspace, music, and game room. This would be about 45,000 square feet and be a, a parking requirement of about 150 parking stalls. Well, thanks, Jim. Uh, now we're going to take a, a little dive into the potential sites and site evaluation criteria uh, for the project. And so I'm going to start here again with a map of Kirkland, and we're going to talk about the four potential sites for recreation and aquatic centers that we've been looking at. Uh, to the north, you've got North Kirkland Community Center. That's what's shown in the triangle there. And then we've also been looking at Juanita Beach Park, uh, which is the purple square and Peter Kirk Community Center Park, which is the uh, center circle, if you will. And then just to the right of that is Houghton Park and Ride um, facility. And so those are the, those are the uh, four sites that we've been focusing on that we'll be reviewing here today. Um, early on at, at our first uh, startup meetings and, and uh, following subsequent discussions with the city and its staff, we developed a site evaluation criteria, um, and that site evaluation criteria is what we'll be reviewing tonight and how we evaluate each one of these sites um, and to create an apples to apples comparison, if you will, uh, to allow um, a kind of quantitative uh, and, and qualitative decision making process to be made. Uh, we looked at the development capacity of each site, the economic viability of each site, uh, also the stewardship for funding, or, or and if those sites support diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, which are really critical features in a in a in in these types of facilities. Um, uh, regulatory approval, if it takes longer or shorter amount of time to approve, and the potential for commit community support. 
Um, and so under the development capacity, these are the, some of the items we're looking at. Jim was mentioning the parking requirements. Some, some, the larger the facility, the more parking that's required. Some of the facility, some of the sites are more adaptable to parking than others. And then economic viability. What is the cost recovery potential? What, what, where can, can we really uh, see a benefit uh, by siting the, the facility correctly? And the proximity to compatible amenities. We don't want to duplicate things right next to each other. And then also looking at the potential shift for partnership, partner, uh, partnership potential uh, as another economic um, uh, act, uh, viability act, um, component. Um, and then stewardship for funding, uh, the site development costs, how much is, is it going to cost to develop a site? Just because it's the same size building does not mean it's going to be the same cost from one site to another. There's a lot of site conditions we'll be looking at that that, that can um, uh, change that. And are there value-added designs potentially uh, by locating certain amenities at certain sites that could really be beneficial to the pro projects? Mm -hmm. And then the supporting of the diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. This is about you know a balanced and complementary services for everybody. Um, the, uh, that we want to preserve and enhance the outdoor recreation amenities that currently exist. So we want to add to that um, inventory and provides access and variety of to a variety of transportation modes to make it easy for people to get to and from these facilities. And then we talked a little bit about the regulatory approval. You know, we've got areas we're trying to avoid wetlands, streams, steep slopes. Those 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 could be um, uh, problematic and have costs associated with them. We're looking for trying to look at options that don't require any lengthy permitting or approval processes. And then the the uh, fifth cr criteria, which we haven't included in, in our our weighing tonight, and how we've weighted the scores, is the potential community support. And that's really what we're looking for PFEX input on tonight. Um, and that'll be very ben beneficial um, as, as we move forward to, to have, have your input. So Clay and I are, are going to go through and share a detailed analysis for each of the four sites that includes the general context as well as the specific site opportunities and constraints. We're also going to share diagrams of how the space program fits on the site as well as the parking requirements, how they fit. And for the different uh, size facilities, we're going to show how they measure against the site evaluation criteria. So I'll go ahead and, and start. Uh, I've got a series of slides. There's two slides uh, representing the analysis for each of the sites. And I'll just spend a couple seconds here orienting you to these slides. Um, the pink, represents the primary vehicular circulation and the purple lines are more pedestrian or bike circulation. Green represents open space. Sometimes it's Kirkland owned and sometimes it's non-Kirkland owned, but still open space. And then the uh, gold color will be our site. So as was alluded to earlier or stated directly, that all of the sites have pretty good uh, transportation options. This site, the Houghton Park and Ride has probably the best being immediately adjacent to 405. So easy on, easy off, lots of uh, ways to get to this particular site. Go ahead, Chris. So when we zoom into the site a little bit closer, you can see all of the bike lanes and uh, pedestrian circulation in purple and the easy on and off of 405. This particular site is uh, fairly good size. It's flat, it's already open and cleared. 
Um, it's a little bit of a funny shape. It's got that, that uh, little wedge triangle shape that isn't the best for uh, a building, but I think we can make good use of it. And then it also has a really uh, strong buffer on the east side to uh, protect the site from the adjacent residential. And one other quick note about this site is that um, it does sit up fairly high. And so there is potential um, views out of any structure there out over the highway and out toward the lake. So with that type of analysis, we then develop two different test fits of program on this site. One on the left, which is a large recreation aquatics uh, program, about 105,000 square feet, and then a more medium community recreation and aquatics facility on, on the right, that is uh, 45,000 square feet. Uh, starting with the large one, um, it was really interesting to see how that facility at two stories fit very comfortably on the site. And we could accommodate all of the parking requirement uh, with surface parking, which really isn't the case on some of the other sites. We thought that was a very positive uh, aspect. You also have good access into the site from 116th as well as seventh place. Um, and as Clayton said, this facility, especially when you get up on the second floor, offers some great views out to Lake Washington and Seattle uh, beyond. So this uh, uh, is a very highly uh, effective use of the site, very efficient. Um, on the on the right side is a test fit of a more medium-sized facility, um, which you know fits obviously comfortably on the site. In fact, it, it has uh, larger open space possibilities for development of a park. Even uh, raises the question: Then is this uh, an ideal location or a desired location for a park? So then uh, the next uh, slide starts to lay out how we. Uh, start to evaluate these these two options. Um, this illustrates how the site evaluation criteria is applied to the two different size facilities. It's utilizing a numerical uh, rating system uh, and the associated color coding with that that has a gradient from green being excellent to red indicating a uh, poor rating. Uh, the specific rating of each criteria was developed pretty carefully and, and had a number of iterations working with the city, as well as department staff and input from the consultant team. So with that in mind, uh, you can see that the large facility uh, has a lot of green bars, uh, which really kind of indicate uh, optimal utilization of the site, the appropriateness perhaps with the address of, off of 405, uh, accommodating uh, a larger facility quite well. Um, the blue, the, excuse me, the uh, yellow bars have the good rating um, for the medium-sized facility. I think it really has to do is, is this the more optimal and best use of this site? It kind of raises that question. So we can move on to the next uh, site. And actually, Jim, before you move on, I've gotten a couple specific questions I think we, I want to go ahead and ask. Sure, um, one, and I, um, this is for all the sites. Do you have the acreage of the sites readily available? Um, just the acreage of the actual sites themselves. And if we need a moment, that's okay too. I, I imagine that yeah. I know you have that information. 
I'm going to look to uh, Clayton on that one for the for the various sites. Yeah, I don't have it at the moment. But I'll we see can, if I can meet you. we can provide that Great. quite easily though. Great. Happy to do that. I promise that they have looked at that. Um, thank <laughs> you. And then the other. Um, there's another question just about Houghton Park and Ride if, and I think um, consultants or this might be a city staff answer, but if Houghton Park and Ride is used for an aquatic and rec center, what happens to people using it as a park and ride? Kurt, would you want to take that one? I think yeah, you Sorry, I was trying to find my buttons. <laughs> yeah, that, you have the best answer on that one. So um, sadly, both the state of Washington Sound Transit and King County Metro have decided that they're going to be eventually discontinuing service to the Houghton Park and Ride. And there's a lot of reasons we could all disagree with those decisions, but the main reason is because of all the rerouting of transit that's happened over the last basically 10 years or so, there's no great routes to connect there. There are still some, and there's no question some people still use them, but the whole reason that WashDOT is surplusing the property is because King County Metro is not using it very much anymore and doesn't intend to use it much longer. And so there really won't be any transit service there. And so we're certainly working with Metro in a whole different set of conversations that are not PFEC about how to reestablish transit connections and some of the focus of the sound transit, bus rapid transit station and so on. So long story short, whether we buy it or not, the transit there is, is basically going to go away. Great. And then we just had... One other question that might be a quick Kurt question. Um, was this also a potential site for a new transfer station? And is that factoring into any of this? No. It is still on the county's list of potential sites for a transfer station. That's one of the three sites they've taken into their EIS. Um, the other one is the current transfer station site. So it is theoretically possible the county could come back and say, we need this site or want this site for the transit for the uh, Hostile waste transfer station. In that scenario, we would just have to have a really big discussion with them. <laughs> but we don't think coming out of the EIS that if the, the locations in Kirkland are evaluated against each other, it's more likely that they're going to probably try to do something on the current site. Uh, but it is still an option they have. But if we purchased it, they would have to buy it back from us in that scenario. Great, thank you. And um, on that note, I am going to turn it back over for the next slides. And I know there's some more questions coming in. I appreciate all those. And I'm going to work on getting some answers so we can get those out to you as well. North Kirkland Community Center and Park. So similar, um, good vehicular access, um, connections to 405 from 124. Juanita High School is um, trail away. From it, and there's some nice open space uh, nearby. Next slide. The interesting thing about this site is that um, it includes a playground across the street. So the site is technically split by a small residential road. Um, and vehicular access on the current site is um, on that small residential road. The, the site includes a playground and a basketball court and the current community center and a couple of interesting trees with some great connections um, into the neighborhood and a bus stop right across the street. A little bit of grade to deal with on this site. So each of those dashed black lines represents, I think five feet of elevation change. So there's 15, 20, 20 plus feet of elevation along 124th that we go uh, down from higher side on the right to the lower side on the left. <clears throat> 
the screen. So we developed two different uh, layouts here uh, for a large recreation aquatic center and then a medium large community recreation and aquatic center. Uh, on the left shows the footprint for 105,000 square foot facility uh, being two stories in height. And in order to accommodate the parking requirement of approximately 350 stalls, that would require uh, a three level parking structure with the top level of the parking being at the entry level to the recreation center. You know, that as Clayton mentioned, it, it can kind of start to work with the topography, but the more levels you build of parking, uh, each uh, it, it becomes very expensive. Also the size of that facility, as you can start to see really uh, takes up most of the site. Um, the other option on the right is a medium to large 70,000 square feet. It starts to integrate uh, kind of more of that blend of community space along with recreation and aquatics. It uh, fits pretty comfortably on the side. As you can see, there's three green circles. They indicate uh, really kind of heritage trees, uh, beautiful trees on the site. There's a possibility for the building to really kind of nestle into this park-like setting and really kind of preserve that quality of, of a park while providing really good visible access and identity from 124. The parking for this is uh, now uh, can be contained at 230 stalls within a, a two level parking structure, which works really well with the sloping topography that's there. Also preserves pathways along the uh, west side that connect back to the high school. Next slide. So we went through a similar evaluation criteria. Um, as you can see, the uh, medium to large facility got higher uh, markings and uh, the green color coding. And a lot of that really has to do with the, uh, the kind of appropriateness of right sizing the facility for that site. And um, that's probably one of the, the primary criteria. Also, just the nature of building into that facility some community type spaces, as well as recreation and aquatics. What's the right program mix for this kind of area of, of Kirkland? Peter Kirk Park, it sounds like you all have visited recently, so are fairly familiar with it. it has pretty strong connections north-south and east-west from the highway and uh, State Street along the water's edge, uh, downtown obviously, and an excellent location uh, close to the lake and, and the waterfront parks. Lots of transportation, good connections to the cross Kirkland corridor. Um, um, pretty prime real estate actually. Next slide. So a few things you all do, I think, are pretty familiar with all the different facilities that currently exist there from the library and the Performing Arts Center and the Teen Center, Community Center, Google, all those great things. And of course, the baseball field as well. A few other things to touch on just with respect to the site and site design there. There's um, very strong uh, urban edge on the south and, and the west and that really strong connection to Park Lane. Um, down to the lake. Those are really great drivers for some thinking about site design. We do have, again, about 15 plus feet of elevation gain going from the right to the left, lower on the left. Um, and that uh, sort of blue 
shape that you see running through the middle of the, of the park here is um, a mapped flood plain. Um, so it's a part of the FEMA 100-year floodplain. So there's some regulatory hoops to jump through when, when this uh, park might be redeveloped. Um, should be relatively straightforward to do, but it does exist. Um, and then number 14 up on the upper right is a potential plaza that um, may be installed there at the top of the site, looking out over the site. Like, really great park. So we looked at two options here. On the right is the large recreation aquatic center uh, oriented uh, so it's parallel to Central Way um, with the idea that uh, parking could occur underground uh, within that facility. It's indicated with the diagonal gray lines. So it would extend out beyond the footprint of the building uh, being accessed off of Central Way. Um, this starts to create uh, a very strong presence and identity for the Aquatics Recreation Center, but at the same time, kind of screens views and the identity of, of the park. Uh, the idea of the park development would be that it would include a multi-use uh, field uh, that would still have baseball diamonds, lacrosse, soccer, all that type of activity could occur within a, uh, a turf field. Um, the existing uh, outdoor pool area could be transformed into perhaps, you know, tennis courts or pickleball courts, that, that type of activity space. So it's a, a more dispersed approach to the park, uh, not as strong of identity as one starts to get in the option on the right, which is a medium community recreation aquatic center. What that, uh, what this particular layout indicates is continuing the park lane access through to Kirkland Urban, and then everything to the north is really about the park. And the idea that not losing any park amenities, but um, really enhancing those with an outdoor pool, uh, multi-use field in the uh, uh, more uh, passive park development to the east. And then the, the idea is uh, the community center could be located in a really interesting position between the library and your performing arts center. So it's really kind of a, a third element with an address on Kirkland Avenue, has opportunities to really engage with overviews of, of the park. This would have one level of parking underneath the building uh, that would uh, work really well and could even take advantage of the city parking structure underneath the library. So the next uh, slide is really about the evaluation between these two options. Um, overall, the uh, medium-sized facility uh, we feel really starts to uh, be the most appropriate fit on this site. Uh, and I didn't mention it, but the, the teen and senior functions could be incorporated into this more comprehensive facility. Um, and it does give back more to the possibilities of what could occur with the redevelopment of Peter Kirk Park. Before I jump into Juanita Beach, I wanted to acknowledge one thing about uh, the Peter Kirk field. The field that was shown in that is modeled off of the 130 new park at 132nd Street. So just for your sense of scale about uh, that field, it's from there. And then I also did, Couple quick takeoffs on the, the parks, um, which I can share later. 
not 100% confident in them, but they're have that. Juanita Beach Park. Um, um, and Clayton, I'm actually going to, we got a couple more questions about Peter okay. Kirk as well. We maybe want to go back a slide. Um, so you kind of just answered part of the field question, um, but we had a question of, is the multipurpose field um, large enough for older youth and adult baseball? I, I would say not as currently drawn, currently shown. It's much smaller than the field that's there now. Okay. And um, wondering a little bit, and I apologize if you might have mentioned this, I've been trying to track all these questions. Um, wondering a little bit about the outdoor pool and um, does it go away in mm -hmm. one of the options? And then also if there is an outdoor pool, could it be covered? Yes, yeah, so um, on the larger recreation aquatic center, the thought is there's a large indoor pool there. So perhaps the outdoor pool uh, wouldn't be required. Um, when it's a medium community recreation center, uh, the thought is we would reconfigure, relocate the outdoor pool uh, so it's parallel to Third Street. Um, it, there is a possibility that it could be covered, but the idea is that perhaps it's still a seasonal pool um, uh, in this location. Great, thank you. I think you can go on to the next one. Juanita Beach Park. So of all the sites, this one has perhaps the least um, simple vehicular circulation being pretty far away from 405 and having relatively small capacity of the of the, the through streets, but has excellent um, pedestrian and bike connections. So it's a really strong feature of this, this park. Um, it also sits kind of at the confluence of Juanita Creek and the and the beach. And as we can see, and you see all the little tiny dots on there. So that's representing the high liquefaction potential of the soils around uh, this part of Kirkland. And that's largely the result of um, the fact that it's all old lake bottom. So particularly if we go to the next slide, we can, we can tell that um, this site was uh, under, underneath water largely um, before the lake was lowered. So the soils are not very good. We also have a good chunk of the site is with uh, has the creek in it and the associated stream buffer. So there are some mitigation challenges associated with this site. It has a couple of loose parking and a historic uh, structure, historic building. The old Forbes building is on the site there at number three. And we have some uh, reasonably nice uh, tree grove kind of scattered throughout the site with a couple of very small um, baseball fields and tennis courts. So we did a test fit of the program here, the large program on the on the left, 105,000 square foot uh, facility, be two stories, and we probably uh, have underground parking for one level there, or perhaps even uh, two levels, as indicated here. The um, and the thought it could also have surface parking, but the intent here was to still preserve uh, a sense of this feeling like a park setting for for the building and then on the right is the smaller 45,000 square foot facility at two levels and it would uh, incorporate surface parking uh, one of the challenges of building on this site 
and uh, Clayton alluded to it, is just the, uh, the poor soils. So there's uh, increased cost uh, for foundation uh, to develop a building on this site. Also, as you go to the next slide, um, the criteria of, uh, you know, the, the north section of this park, ultimately, is it uh, more appropriate to retain it as a park with park amenities or develop it as a building? And that's why I think you're seeing a, not a lot of green uh, on either of these options. It's just um, the notion of this site having tremendous possibilities as being retained as a park, but uh, being redeveloped with new amenities uh, that, that could happen at this site to create a real cohesive connection back to the uh, southern portion of the park. We also think the Forbes House has tremendous possibility to be an event center and uh, a space that could be rented for uh, weddings and that sort of thing with perhaps some, a modest addition. So lots of potential on the site, uh, but it doesn't rank really high in terms of a location for a, a larger community recreation center. Okay, so after we've taken a look at each one of these sites individually, kind of established um, how they compare on whether it's a large or medium large, uh, we wanted to look holistically at all four sites and kind of compare uh, uh, them to one another. And we, one thing we hadn't really uh, talked about yet, so we want to jump into the idea of, of, of the cost analysis. You know, how, what, what are the, what are the vari cost variables related to each one of the sites? And so what we've done here is kind of put the four sites in comparison to one another. Um, you'll see uh, the, the numbers and, and the text that is in, in the dark color. Those are all the project. Those are all the project uh, building costs. So site costs, building costs, parking costs that total the first blue line. So that's what the construction costs are, uh, or estimated construction costs for that project are. Um, and then the soft costs are costs like your your permitting fees, um, your fixtures, furniture and equipment, things that go inside the building. Um, that are all necessary to have have a complete and operational building um, uh, once it's completed. And so what that does in the end is give you the total project costs. And so as we move through here, it's the total project costs are, are what get you a, a move-in ready building um, uh, to have all your um, uh, start, start your programming. Um, and um, we are showing a range here as well. So the, the low number is 10% 10, 10 below the mean and the high number is 10% 10, 10 above the mean. So uh, we, we, this is very um, early on, but wanted to get a sense of, of, of what the, the costs are uh, by site. And so if you're looking at Houghton Park and Ride uh, for the large facility, you're in the 105 to $129 million range. And for the medium community center, you're in the 48 to $59 million range. Um, that's predicated mostly on the fact that it's just a smaller uh, facility. Um, and then on uh, North Kirkland uh, Community Center um, Park, uh, 147, 180 is, is the high range, uh, or, or is, is the range for the the, the 100,000 square, 105,000 square foot facility, and uh, 101 to 124 million is the range um, for the medium large facility. 
And if you're asking why is there a difference between those two, that really comes to the things that Jim was talking about, like the parking, uh, the slope site conditions. And so same size building, but more costs. Same size building for Houghton Park and Ride and North Kirkland, but different costs because the parking is, is larger and um, uh, multi-storied and you have a slope site that wasn't clear to everybody. Um, and then for uh, Peter Kirk Community Center Park, um, 105 million to 191 million uh, for the uh, large recreation aquatics and uh, 56 to 68 uh, for the medium community uh, recreation and aquatics center. Um, and then finishing off with 180 Beach, 153 million, 187 million total project costs for the large. For the medium community recreation center, we're in the 56 to 72 million dollar range. And so these are very um, uh, early costs, but they're predicated on on the actual sites, soils conditions, and um, and and how 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 many stories of parking uh, would be incorporating there. And then okay, this Chris, I'm going to ask you two two questions about that slide while we're on it. Um, thank you very much for presenting. So, can you clarify um, the the question is do, does this slide include architectural design costs? Yes. So, and the, that thirty percent saw so thirty percent is pretty much an industry standard typically of what you'd be seeing. So that soft cost there would be all the architectural fees, all the engineering fees all the permitting fees, um, any any other entitlement fees that would come along with this, if there's anything with, with SEPA, critical areas, that kind of stuff, as well right. as all the, the furniture and fixture and equipment that would be in the building. So that's that's everything that's not actually in the building proper, if it makes sense. Great. And then um, I'm going to answer this, and if I get it wrong, do tell me, but it does not include annual maintenance costs. So that's something else that we'll have to talk about separate well, not separate in conjunction with, but that's not in this slide. Um, and then the other, um, another question on here is just wondering, you know, how are these numbers considering inflation um, and the margin of error? And so I think I would just briefly say, you know, Chris explained how there's the the range and building in that buffer kind of accounts for some of that. And we'll be talking more about um, future costs in upcoming meetings as well. And I think that is all the all the burning questions that were about the dollar figure. So I will let you go on to your next slide. Thanks. All right. And so uh, this slide now is is looking at the um, uh, site evaluation uh, matrix um, uh, scores. The maximum score uh, that that any site could get was a seventy two. And so what we've done is compared all the sites and the various programs that we looked at to one another. Um, and what it, what the, the uh, criteria is telling us is that the 65 is, is, is the highest score um, uh, for Houghton Park and Ride. And it's the second highest score overall. Um, so it scores higher than the medium recreation community center. Uh, looking at uh, North Kirkland um, Community Center Park, it scores a 56 um, with mostly everything in, in the excellent to uh, good uh, category. Um, so it scores higher um, than, than the large uh, facility at North Kirkland. And then at Peter Kirk Community Park, 
um uh 66 is the score um that for the medium community of recreation and aquatics and so with everything scoring excellent and scoring good in the stewardship of funding there um you'll see heavy, heavy orange and and yellow as you had mentioned earlier with Juanita Beach Park um and similar with uh, the medium community of recreation and aquatics um uh, which had an excellent score in the development capacity but scored lower in, in the other categories. Um, and so with that, just looking at the site evaluation conclusions, you know, based on the matrix and 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 the, the scoring that we we had utilized, it, it comes up that we've got Houghton Park and Ride kind of scoring as a, as a top contender for the large recreation and aquatics. The medium large community recreation and aquatics um, also scoring very well. Um, uh, for North Kirkland Community Center Park, and uh, then at Peter Kirk Community Center Park, the medium community recreation and aquatics. So that is the sort of mix that 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 uh, kind of rose to the top in during the evaluation matrix criteria um, discussion and formulation. All right, and this is actually my slide. And um, so I, I asked to put this in as a preview to the PFIT conversations that you're going to be having in January and February. So um, we don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this because uh, there's a huge curriculum coming on how taxes work in Washington and then also how ballot measures work and how you might make different choices about ballot measures. But we wanted to give you a standard sense of a ballot measure cost if you chose to go with any of these um, in January and February. And so if you were to pick the Houghton Park Ride, and we're not asking this today, but I just wanted to be clear. So at the end, if you made a recommendation to the council to proceed with the Houghton Park Ride at 129 million, right now that would end up being about a 26 and a half cent per thousand measure on the ballot. And if you were to go with the North Kirkland, it would be a 25 and a half cent measure on the ballot. And if you go with the smaller version of the Peter Kirk Community Center version, it'd be about 14 cents on the ballot. So that's a 20-year levy. You can make that number go down by expressing it out. And so those are all the kinds of permutations and things that we can talk about in January and February. But we wanted to give you those as sort of context as you're talking about it so that it starts to become more real. Uh, below that, you see the cost to the medium Kirkland homeowner. And again, there'll be a whole other conversation about what is the median number and how real is that and who pays it? Uh, but just to remind you of the context, the Kirkland Fire Proposition 1 measure for 2020 was 24 cents per thousand on the ballot measure. Uh, today, the city of Redmond has, coming up next Tuesday, uh, 36 cents per uh, thousand measure for its uh, public safety measure. And then a couple of years ago, Shoreline actually put their own aquatic center on the ballot. It unfortunately didn't get 60%, and that was a 51 cents per thousand. So the sort of good news is these are kind of expensive, but the cost per thousand is in the zone of the kinds of things that we see around us and, and past ballot measures for the city of Kirkland. So just want to set that context before we get to the full discussion. And I'm certainly happy to answer any questions anyone has on this. Great. Great. Well, thank you, everyone. That was kind of the end of the presentation part. And I know we have 